Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Hey, good Saturday morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. I hope you are, Jason. I'm wonderful, Bill. It's been a, a great week, and I'm excited to do the show here with you, and we've got a, a lot of topics to get to today. Well, here we are in the summertime, and this life is good. Life is good indeed, Bill. And, you know, life is always good when a little asset protection is involved. So uh, we're going to talk about, a little yeah, bit about that. It works. Today. That's the whole point. That's you know? right. Well, that's why we need you, Bill. <laughs> you know, if, if it weren't for you, we'd all be uh, we'd be up the creek. It, it okay. would not be good because we well, wouldn't know what we're doing. To, Jason, I need to start off with, with a half retraction. Uh, you, you know, we I, I talk um, – uh, Frequently about half truths and how people get misled by by um, things that they think is correct, but it's not, or they just have a complete a misunderstanding, or how it can be true at times, but it's not really true most of the time, or if it's not true if you understand how to deal with it. Well, anyway, uh, for the last I don't know three three to six months, I've been warning my clients about the real ID. Uh, now, I, I know that you're familiar with it, but a lot, I've, I've, I've been surprised that many of my clients had no idea what I was talking about until I actually showed it to them. And what it boils down to is your driver's license for most people in North Carolina is your government-issued identification card that we use for lots and lots of different things. But one of the things that we use our driver's license for is to board an airplane, you know, through Homeland Security. You know, they check your driver's license at the gate. You know, they check it when you get in and have to go through security line and all that good stuff. But that's not the only time. There are lots of other times where our identification is important to us. And what a lot of folks don't realize is that the federal government has come into the play for, through Homeland Security, and now they're requiring uh, an upped ID, if you will, one, one uh, where you have to show far more in order to uh, receive your identification card. And so and now this also applies to folks who do not drive, but they have a North Carolina identification card. So it applies to them as well. But the fact of the matter and and the, the retraction I have to, to or the half truth, I guess, is I've been warning folks, hey, you got to know this and you got to go take care of it. But I thought that it was effective January 1, 2020, and that's where I was wrong. So I have to apologize for, for telling folks the wrong date. Of course, if folks get the ID early, that's a good thing anyway. But the actual date of implementation for the requirement of having a federal identification card is October 1st, 2020. Now that, I mean, for those who don't know, that's the beginning of the physical year for the federal government. So October 1st makes sense. Um, but it's October and not January. But 
What it boils down to is if you have a regular old North Carolina driver's license and try to use it as your identification card to board an aircraft on October 1st of next year, 2020, then you're going to be turned away and say, nope, can't, can't get through this line, sorry. Well, that will come as a shock to folks. Uh, now, there is one other federal ID that a person could use if they don't have this, and that's a passport. You know, that meets the federal identification guidelines. But what I would tell folks is um, to go online to the North Carolina Department of Motor Vehicles website uh, and look for the requirements of Real ID. Um, it actually takes a whole bunch of stuff you have to take with you to get your driver's license uh, marked. And what you might say, well, what's the difference on your driver's license? Well, if you have the federal ID, you have a little white star that's encased in gold uh, on, uh, in the right corner of your driver's license. And that's, that shows that it meets the requirements and it is a federal identification card. If you don't have the white star, it'll, it'll actually have on it not for federal identification uh, stamped on the driver's license. And so that should give you a hint right there. Um, so if, if your driver's license is coming up for renewal, or if it's not <laughs> coming up for renewal prior to October 1st, 2020, you need to think about going down to DMV with all of the required information. And, of course, you have to have a valid identification card. You have to have um, your Social Security card or a W-2 statement from your employer. You have to have letters uh, that are have been addressed to you, first-class letters addressed to your uh, showing that you live where you say you live. Um I'm sure I'm leaving some some things out, but the bottom line is go online, check out, make sure you know what you have to take with you, and then, this may surprise you, you can make an appointment at the Department of Motor Vehicles where you get your driver's license, and I would strongly recommend that, folks, to get a driver's license uh, appointment, and it might be two or three months from now, but that's that's okay. That'll save you two or three hours of waiting time uh, if you have an appointment. I mean, you can still expect to wait. You might have to wait 30 minutes, but that's a whole lot better than three hours. Um, and then make sure you have everything with you so that you're not frustrated uh, <laughs> turned away because you don't have everything you need. But it's really important for folks to uh, get that real ID, the federal identification um for your driver's license. And of course, if your driver's license is coming up for renewal in the next year, um, you can actually get your renewed driver's license um, up to six months prior to your birthday. In other words, six months before your license expires. Not more than six months, but if you're within the six months, you can get your appointment and then you can get your renewed driver's license at the same time that you get your federal identification real ID. And so um, I learned all this by, by making the mistake myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we learn by our mistakes, and that's what it boils down to. So um, I would encourage folks to go ahead and get that done so that 
uh, because I suspect as we get closer to October 1st and people are going to be thinking, oh, my gosh, if I don't get it done. So the lines are going to get longer and longer, and they're already pretty long at they DMV. Are. So. They are. I, I, about <laughs> last year, I went to go do that, and I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just walk in. No, that was a, a bad – I just turned around at that point because the line was out the door. So mm-hmm. uh, folks do need to get on this as soon as they can. You had a great suggestion of setting an appointment. Uh, you may even want to look at the driving to a DMV a little bit farther out if you're in Raleigh proper, where the lines might be a little bit shorter. But you, you do want to get on this now because, as you said, Bill, uh, I don't think everyone quite understands that this is going to affect into effect next October. And mm-hmm. when people do start learning about that, the lines, as you said, are going to get even longer. Right. Okay. Well, uh, I know we need to sh- take a short break, but uh, I would when we come back, I would like to talk about a, a couple of different events in our history. So we'll do a little history lesson when we come back, but I think it's really interesting to think about it. Looking forward to it. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you'd like to find more about Bill, head over to WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website, WGALaw.com. There you can find plenty of information about the services Bill provides to his client. You can schedule an appointment, and you can also find information about his free monthly seminars. Bill, just before the break, you were teasing us with a little history lesson. Well, uh, the, uh, there are two events that I think we need to uh, at least um – think about. And so uh, I'll ask you, Jason, other than the fact that 50 years ago I graduated from high school, hence I just had my 50th reunion, what else happened 50 years ago? Well, I, I know this because you gave me the answer earlier. <laughs> that is the, the moon landing. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, 50 years ago, um, on June the 20th, um, 1969, two weeks after I graduated from high school, uh, we landed on the moon, and uh, certainly that was a huge event. I, just frankly, um, almost everyone in the country w- was tuned in to their uh, television, their black and white television, <laughs> <laughs> to, to uh, see the, the moon landing as, as it occurred. And um, what a special event. Um, of course, there was a space race, you know, uh, in other words, the United States was not necessarily, um, in fact, we were behind in, this, in the space race, and we caught up, if you will. And landing on the moon was, was really um, where we showed that, that as a country, we, we were, in fact, ahead, but not by much. And that's what a lot of folks don't realize. You know, there, there was a space race going on between the Soviet Union uh, and the United States. Uh, and, of course, the Soviet Union up until that time had, had quietly, quite frankly done more than we had. And, and it was such a huge event, and it was spectacular. 
and I think it's it's something that we have to celebrate. You know, you have to think back. Back then, uh, it had only been a few years before that we had uh, put um, men in space at all to orbit the Earth. Uh, you know, John Glenn being the first to orbit the, the Earth in space, and that was a celebrated event as well. Um, but to land on the moon was was pretty special. I mean, the, and what's really amazing in some ways is that we've advanced so much technology-wise, but we've never gone back to land on the moon again. It's been the only moon landing. <laughs> so uh, pretty, pretty interesting. Now, what happened 100 years ago, Jason? Well, I also know this one because you gave me the answer, but that is 100 years ago, women got the right to vote. That's right. June the 4th, 1919. Um, and you know what is really surprising? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't an aha moment that everyone said, oh, this isn't right that women haven't been able to vote. Women ha- had to fight for the right to vote. Uh, And what's really surprising is that there was a large percentage of women that thought it was wrong for women to have the right to vote. I mean, people's minds, the perceptions uh, back uh, then were totally different. And that's something where, you know, with a modern mindset, it's hard for us to understand how people actually thought back then. But uh, truthfully, uh, there were riots. There were uh, women who were jailed. Uh, there were um, women who were injured and, and murdered. And, and it was in, in tr- all in the effort to obtain the, the right to vote. So it, it was not an easily won uh, right, if you will. It, it was... Um, you know, you talk about woman suffrage. I mean, uh, <laughs> but the bottom line is they had to suffer to get the right to vote, uh, and and uh, it's been huge. I mean, the, if you think about it, uh, women are, is it's greater than fifty percent. In other words, there are more women in the world than there are men. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know all of us who are married realize that women have a different perspective. <laughs> they think differently. They act differently. And things are, uh, different things are important uh, to women. Uh, and, and, you know, the fact is that it's, it was clearly the right thing to do, but people didn't recognize it as the right thing to do. Now, I'm going to go back. What really astounds me thinking about uh, – women finally getting the right to vote is the fact that this country was founded in 1776, if you will. I mean, if you get right down to it. Uh, And there was a lot of back and forth uh, for about 20, 25 years as to how much uh, the federal government should be able to do versus the states. And that ended up in the Civil War, if if you will. Um, but I mean, we're we're talking uh, more than fifty years after the Civil War. I mean, so at least there was a recognition uh, <laughs> after four, you know four years of of uh, bl- bloodied uh, Earth that 
uh, recognized uh, th- that uh, slavery was wrong. I mean, clearly. Uh, but suffrage is something that was totally different. Uh, do you, and we may have mentioned this before, but one of the most interesting things to me historically is what percentage of folks in the United States could vote when this country was formed. What do you think? Have we talked about it before, Jason? I think we have, and it's a, it's a small number. It the, is. Yeah. 4%. Wow. 4% of the population could vote. Now, why do you think that would be? Well, you wipe out half with, with women. That's right, exactly. More than half with women, if you get right down to it. Because women live longer than men, <laughs> you know, and, and we can show how that—that's the case. But then, uh, folks of color could mm-hmm. not vote, and co- folks of color represented a fairly large percentage of the population uh, at that time as well. Um, now, you also couldn't vote unless you were at least twenty-one, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what do you think the life expectancy was back then? And not good, probably somewhere in the 40s. That's right, exactly, uh, in the 40s. And so if you couldn't vote until you were 21, that, again, wipes out about not not quite half of the folks who were left. (laughs) And then you had to be a landowner uh, at that time to vote. And, And so that... I mean, once you wipe out all the women, you wipe out people of color, you wipe out folks who are under 21 years of age, and you wipe out folks who don't own even a scratch of land, and you're down to about 4%. And that, of course, you know, back then, the again, it's all a matter of the way people thought and perceptions and uh, being educated and those kinds of things. And that was accepted. That was the way it was okay. Uh, now, in a modern mind frame, that is totally wrong <laughs> and horrible. And, and uh, uh, you know, the, but the folks that we venerate, the, our leaders of that time uh, through history, uh, had a, a different mindset because the world was different at that time than it is today. And so we have to respect history and the mindsets that went on and the fact that uh, the change the world took folks of action, folks who uh, perceived the wrong and, and would right the wrong. And that's what this country's been about um, ever since, really. It's uh, the, the country's you know, the, those of us who love the country, <laughs> and hopefully that's everybody out there, um, have to recognize that our country's done a lot of bad things uh, over the years. Uh, hopefully, uh, uh, not intentionally, but it's just the fact that many uh, bad decisions have been made uh, over the years and, and perpetuated things that were wrong. and. But we've grown, and we've improved, and we're better for it, and it is a great country, and, and, uh, but it's, it's not because we haven't made mistakes. We've, we have made mistakes and learned by them, hopefully, and, and we go from there. But it is interesting that we celebrate 100 years of, of women voting, 
And, you know, now there's more women in Congress than ever before. There's more women in the state legislature than ever before. Um, it's uh, And it's a good thing. It is a good thing. And, you know, it's something that I think, Bill, you're, you're wise to go back and reflect upon because these are accomplishments that uh, sometimes get overlooked. And as you said, it's just fascinating to sort of put ourselves back in the feet of, uh, of those in that time and just to see how much things have progressed. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us. Want to remind you, WGALaw.com is Bill's website. There you can download Bill's podcast, the Asset Protection Today podcast. You can also find it wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether that's uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. It's everywhere. You can find it anywhere. It's the Asset Protection Today podcast. If you want uh, some quick, easy, digestible tips from Bill, that's a great way to get them, the Asset Protection Today podcast. Well, Bill, we uh, hear so much about the debate on uh, what to do in retirement with your mortgage. Well, that's right. Um, money makes a whole big difference to, to <laughs> folks before we retire and even after. I mean, when we retire, for sure, because uh, one of the biggest concerns for seniors is running out of money. Uh, it uh, And, of course, people are living longer. It's certainly uh, w- one of those issues that for some folks is a very real issue. But uh, inside that, is a question of should we work to pay off our mortgage um, as opposed to not doing that, okay? And I just read an article recently uh, that fuels the debate, if you will, and and uh, the, the, uh, the article I wrote took uh, – not wrote, uh, the article I read uh, takes uh, a couple – where um, the woman of the house wants to pay off the mortgage, uh, wants to make sure the roof is over her head and doesn't want to have to worry about it versus the guy who basically uh, 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 said, no, you know, I, uh, you know, I took out the, the mortgage thinking that um, – uh, I would always have this mortgage, and so the, and, and now, th- this was a couple who made pretty good money, but they weren't retired yet, and I think that's an important factor to consider. And um, what it boiled down to was that their mortgage was about three percent interest rate. Uh, and here's here's the way the article went. It basically it basically said, look. If you pay off the mortgage, you're in effect you're uh, taking advantage of not having to pay that three percent. Versus, if you have a good investment advisor and you invest your money uh, 
you should be able to make 6% on your money. Uh, and so the, the article's conclusion was, duh, you know, don't pay it off, make the extra money, uh, and go forward. But I, th- I think that is horrible advice. Uh, I'm, I go with the gal in this one who wants to pay off the mortgage. And to me, it makes 10 times more sense. And uh, here's a couple things to, to ponder, because there are an awful lot of financial advisors out there who would tell you, no, don't pay off your mortgage. But you also have to understand from my perspective that part of it is money managers like to have money under management. And so if you don't pay off the mortgage, then you have more money for them to manage. But, you know, one thing about money management is you're never going to find a money manager who will guarantee you 5% or 6% or 7% or 8%. They'll make their best efforts. But you know what? I've seen lots of years where money managers lose 20%. And so, you know, when you lose your nest egg, which we know that every 10 years the markets are going to drop at least twice in a 10-year period. Now, that means eight years are good, you know, even in volatile times. We, they end up having eight decent years in a 10-year period. But you also you don't know how bad the – two times that it drops will be, or if you need your money, when that drops, you know, that's, uh, and for retirees, that's a big, uh, a, a big thing. So what I'm getting at is if you pay off your mortgage, it's guaranteed. And then you don't have the possibility of somebody coming in and say, oh, we're real sorry that you haven't been able to pay your mortgage the last two or three months. We're going to take your house. You don't have that, that problem. Um, and and the, the fact of the matter is, is even though it is true that if, if you put your money at, with some basic risk that over a long term, you should be able to make 6%. That is, that's a true statement. But at the same time, for retirees, it's a totally different equation. And see, the other thing, too, that's not factored into this article is that people don't have as much income when they retire as when they're working. And if you don't have a mortgage to pay, you have a whole lot more extra cash that would be going towards rent or a mortgage um, if your mortgage is paid off. So as a result, because of if you're risk-adverse at all, uh, and you like to have the guarantee of a roof over your head, and you like the concept of having additional money to spend in retirement, to me, having your mortgage paid off is a no-brainer when you retire, uh, unless it's an impossibility. And there are a lot of folks out there who live too high on the hog uh, during their you know, working years, and they don't have the ability uh, to pay off their their mortgage at any time. Uh, and that's a real shame because people need to live more frugally and save more money than they are. And it's it's a real issue for the millennials. Um, it's That's a generation that's really not saving anything or very little, and it's going to come back to bite them in the end. 
Yeah. It's something that I think a lot of them need to pay attention to, especially when you're starting out with, uh, as so many often are, with student debt and how that puts you just behind the eight ball. And they, they Oh, Jason, now you're, now you're giving them excuses. Student, <laughs> student debt, you know, they can't save money because they're paying off their debt. And they, there is truth to that. You know, there's, uh, there are an awful lot of folks out there with over $100,000 when they get out of school, and it, and you're right, it's like having a mortgage. Uh, that's you know just, and it's really hard for an awful lot of folks. And and there's no way to get rid of that debt other than paying it off. So it's, um, yeah, you're exactly right. It is tough, uh, but they chose to borrow the money to go to school. So you know it's the kind of thing where you have to have a plan. Uh, you're exactly right. You do have to have a plan, and you do have to understand the consequences of borrowing uh, such a large amount of money, and the fact that, uh, as you said, it it doesn't go anywhere. Um, you know, you you can't get rid of student loans. Uh, I'm, many people have tried, but uh, that does not work. So, uh, well, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us on this Saturday morning. And Bill, we are going to discuss a term that we've brought up before on the show, and that is a fiduciary. And, you know, we, we've we can go over again what that term means, but it's an important term to understand. Well, I thought I needed to shift gears and talk about something legal. So here, <laughs> here we want to talk about some legal stuff. And um, folks know that I emphasize how important it is for folks to have a general durable power of attorney. That's a financial power of attorney and a health care power of attorney. Both of those legal documents are extremely important to folks where – you appoint a loved one, an agent, hopefully a loved one, not necessarily, but somebody you can trust <laughs> to be your agent, oftentimes called a power of attorney, my power of attorney. I've appointed so-and-so as my power of attorney. Um, that's another word for that is agent, uh, someone to act on your behalf. And, of course, you, folks know that uh, one of the things that I preach uh, and I wish I was preaching to the choir, but I'm not. I'm preaching to the congregation here, uh, is that seniors need a different kind of power of attorney, general durable power of attorney. They need an advanced power of attorney that's very broad in authority uh, because a normal power of attorney just does not give your family the ability to do asset protection planning when a crisis occurs. And uh, as much as we don't like to admit it, it's far more likely for a senior to have a crisis <laughs> than someone who uh, is not a senior. And that's why I say folks who are retired or older uh, need an advanced general durable power of attorney so that if a crisis strikes, 
um, an attorney who knows what they can do uh, can do uh, with uh, a, an advanced power of attorney can help a family protect their resources, uh, protect all of their assets, and that's a huge, huge benefit. And of course, the same thing's true for the healthcare power of attorney, where you want an agent to be able to make decisions when you cannot communicate yourself your own decisions for the doctor. Now, the, the when you appoint an agent, that brings up what are the agent's responsibilities? Well, here's the thing about powers of attorney. Whether it's a general durable power for finances or if it's a healthcare power of attorney, it gives authority for your agent to make decisions. Whatever the document says, within that document, it, it gives specific authority for your agent to be able to make decisions. What it doesn't do, however, and this is important for folks to understand, is when you appoint an agent under those kind of documents, it gives them no instruction as to how to to make decisions on your behalf. So clearly it's important that you appoint someone who is trustworthy, someone who hopefully is a loved one who would, would never do anything that's uh, contrary to your best interest. Now, when you appoint an agent and they act as your agent, then... Uh, in that event, they have, under the law, a fiduciary duty. And that's a higher standard than just doing whatever. It's a, it's a very high standard. Le it's a legal standard. That means that, that uh, their actions will be scrutinized, and there are fiduciary standards. And they're not necessarily consistent from one state to another, there are a little variables, but North Carolina has its standard, and it's fairly, you know, about half the states have one standard and half have another, but uh, I think folks will get it. Um, so what do you think the highest standard of a fiduciary is, Jason? Uh, that's doing what's in the best interest of the person that you're the agent for. Th that's a pretty good answer, but it's wrong. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> In North Carolina, the fiduciary, the first and foremost responsibility is to make a decision that is consistent with the decision either expressed, implied, or known that your ward would make. In other words, the person who appointed you, whatever that person would do, if you know what it is, that's what you're supposed to do. That is the number one fiduciary rule in North Carolina. Because you know what? People don't always make decisions that are in their best interest. They might make a decision that's in their family's best interest or in their spouse's best interest, but not necessarily their own best interest. And so that's, that's the difference, if you will. Now, the second rule is exactly what you said. It is, if you don't know what the ward would do, then it is your duty to do what is in the ward's best interest. And, and those are the two fiduciary standards uh, in uh, North Carolina. And when I said that not all states are consistent, there 
are other states that start out with the rule just as you enumerated. In other words, to do always what's in the best interest of the ward and not worry about what the ward would do himself or herself. I like North Carolina's standard because I think it recognizes that uh, we're different. I mean, we're unique human beings with a different mindset, each one of us, and and our agents should be acting on our behalf to do what we would do if we were making the decision ourselves. And that's true for healthcare decisions, and it's certainly true for financial decisions. And then there's one other piece that a lot of folks um, don't realize, and and that is that they have a responsibility to stay within the um, limitations of the document that's been signed. Uh, A power of attorney can't make any and every decision that they want to make. They can only do those things that the document authorizes them to do. And, um, you know, some healthcare powers of attorney actually do have limitations in them as to you can't, you can't do this and you can't do that. Sometimes that's for religious reasons or sometimes it's for other reasons. But, um, but it's important uh, to know what those limitations are. And there are lots and lots of financial limitations in a general durable power of attorney. And if you have a standard power of attorney or a normal power of attorney or what is known as a short-form power of attorney, it's a very limited document. A short-form power of attorney is more of a transactional document that allows you to sell the truck and sell the house and borrow money and and do things like that. But you can't make significant decisions uh, such as transferring property by gift to the spouse or to the children or setting up a, uh, a trust, an irrevocable trust, or to change a revocable trust or to you know, change beneficiary designations or things like that. Um, those, those are much more aggressive uh, powers, which you will find in an advanced power of attorney, but not in the typical power of attorney that, that folks. So, but the bottom line is, is that you can't make decisions that's outside the authority that's actually given you in the, the document. And I, I emphasize that because you'd be surprised how many agents never read the document? <laughs> you know, it's they just assume they can do anything that they are asked to do or need to do, and and of, and of course that's not true. And of course, if uh, you also have uh, the problem sometimes with the wrong agent is a appointed, and you can have abuse, financial abuse, or neglect. Uh, by an agent, um, and and that's um, that's where my friends who do fiduciary litigation comes come in because uh, if you choose the wrong agent, you can certainly damage not only your future but your family's future as well. So, picking the agent is one of the most important, if not the most important, uh, decision you make because 
a good document with a bad agent is a bad situation, and a bad document with a good agent is an okay situation. <laughs> yeah, it's important to make the right choice there, and if you're not sure if your documents are up to snuff, it's probably a good time for you to call Bill. Call the office, 919-256-7000, 919 919- Two five six seven thousand. Schedule an appointment to talk to Bill. You can review your documents. Maybe you don't have any documents and you want to get that taken care of. Make sure that you've got the right legal documents that fit your needs. A quick break and back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio six eighty WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander as we uh, are approaching the close of today's program. Bill, you had a, a nugget of information you wanted to share with us. Well, it, it, this is important too because there are a lot of families with trust, you know, revocable trusts or irrevocable trusts. And a trustee is another fiduciary. A, a trustee uh, is a person who has those fiduciary responsibilities and, again, to act within the document. And there are a lot of folks who get confused because they've been appointed as the agent under a power of attorney, but they're not the trustee. So when you have a situation like that, it's important to understand that the agent under a power of attorney has absolutely zero, no authority for anything in the trust. The only fiduciary that has authority under a trust is the trustee and no one else. So power of attorney does not have authority under trust assets, nor does a trustee have any authority for anything outside the trust. And so that's an important distinction for folks to know. Now, the difference between a trust and a power of attorney is the power of attorney gives authority but no instructions, and a trust... One of the nice things about a trust is it gives authority of a trustee, but it also tells the trustee what's expected of them. There are instructions as to how to spend my money, and you're obligated to stay within the confines of my instructions, whereas a power of attorney agent does not have those limitations or instructions. Two uh, very important distinction there and knowing where those lines are with those two different roles. Well, we're just about out of time here. I want to remind you, you can head over to WGALaw.com. That is Bill's website. You can find plenty of information about him there. You can catch Bill's Asset Protection Today podcast. You can schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. You can view uh, his wonderful team there at WG Alexander and Associates. It's a wonderful brand new website if you want to check it out, WGALaw.com. We're out of time for today, but we hope you will join us again next Saturday at 11 for Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great weekend.